Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Oh, Christ on crutches. Now we have nothing to say. We had all this great content. Right, we were just chatting up a fucking storm. Um, yeah, so it's raining here. It is raining, and it's we have high wind, so I don't know if there any of it, it will come through the recording, but right. if it does, that yeah. is our natural, fully spooky sounds. <laughs> right, guys. We are not additionally haunted. I'm not even out in the barn. I'm in the house proper these days. Same. I just turned the heat off. <laughs> we just suffer through. <laughs> yeah. I, you turned the heat off, really? Yeah, your... because the furnace is loud as fuck. Oh. See now Every time that, it kicks on. That's very much like Dan won't let me out in the outbuilding because I can't mm. I can't regulate my body temperature right now. Yeah, yeah. And so like turning off the heat out there is not an option. So No, no, our oh god, I remember how cold it would get out there. We could see our breath. Like Yeah. Yeah. If if a recording was taking too long and we could start seeing our breath. <laughs> like, we wrap would, it up. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway. no, I'm in the library today. That's good. Uh, and we'll be until I'm capable of taking care of my own body temperature. Woo! Yay! It might not ever happen. Uh, when they suck a ton of water out of you, you lose, like, all your insulation. Mm. So, like, through dialysis, they've sucked 70 pounds out of me. And because of that, I, like, cannot stay warm. Welcome to my world. No, I know! I just... It feels really weird. Yeah. You poor, poor, poor thing. <laughs> I almost wish my kidneys were, like, still failing so that I could just be a little more temperate. Mm. I mean, they are still failing, but like we're doing something about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's depressing. Why are we always talking about my medical shit? I don't know. It's a uh, because it's the I only mean, thing that's happening in my life. Ever present. Um. Well, I feel like I'm in a better mood than last time. Were you in a bad mood last time? <laughs> no, I was just like you know ang- anxious about everything, and I mean for sure things are not completely settled. But it's been a couple weeks, you know. Things have changed. Events have transpired in the past couple weeks since we last recorded. Oh, you mean because of the election? Yeah. Oh, right. I forgot about it. It's fine. Oh. Ooh, that's a mark of privilege right there, right? I mean, honestly, I probably should have left you in blissful uh, unawareness. No, um, you know what? Even today, he, like, he, the our, our orange fascist. The Cheeto in office. The Cheeto in chief, yes. Cheeto in chief. <laughs> uh, was, like, casually tweeted that Biden won. Um, mm, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's, it's fine. Oh, okay. It's that's as uh, much of a concession as we're going to get. I think honestly. that's as much as we're going to get. Yeah. The the 10, there's been 10 Republican uh, challenges in court to voter <laughs> fraud in various yeah. states and all 10 have been thrown out universally. God, it's giving me life living, reading those transcripts. Me too. It's, like, it's delicious. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are going to, I mean, either things are going to take a real weird turn. Oh, yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. the military is going to get involved. Always possible. <laughs> or this is coming to an end pretty soon. Um, Sorry to the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it, though, guys. We are. We're working I, on it. I know you're happy that at least we made the right choice this time. Um, I hope we can consistently start making some decent choices. Because historically, America likes to just volley wildly between, like, mm-hmm. styles of leader. To go from, like, Clinton to Bush. Yeah, we, we kind of oscillate between far right and medium right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, now I've made myself sad. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is never going to be president now. Anyway. But AOC, we still have time. Yeah, 20, what, 2028? She can be president? Yeah, I think. We stand. We stand. Uh, so this week, we... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pivot wildly. Uh, this week we uh, are. What are we talking about this week, Kate? We're talking about the Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Bow chicka bow. Yeah, I fucking love the Wild Wild West. I don't like. I and I've been sitting with this because it's really not an era to be admired. Like, there's not a lot mm. of great things here. To be fair. Uh, to be fair. You should. To be fair. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't really admire too any historical period too yeah. closely too much yep. because it's all problematic. It's once, real problematic. Once you, once you scratch the surface of any historical period, you're like, oh no. Oh no. Oh. And we're and and right now is not exempt from that. So I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the best I can come up with with why I like the Wild West so much is that I like horses and corsets. <laughs> that is extremely valid. I think aesthetically it's very good. And I'm not talking from like a steampunk perspective because... <sighs> I love steampunk. I have a lot of opinions about steampunk. I think it can be done really well and really cleverly, but it also... It, it kind of... It also can be terrible. Can be just the fucking worst. Like the most... Misogynistic fedora neckbeard like the lady trashy halloween costume version of it and i hate that um but but sometimes it's super cool and super fun and like really awesome and interesting and and like what if you know Um, also i have like when i mean i know that this is like an aesthetic that is divorced entirely from historical truth but like it also does piss me off when people like get weirdly historically inaccurate about it which i know that is a silly opinion to have (laughs) but i need it to be rooted in some level of accuracy (laughs) i'm gonna let you be i'm gonna let that be the hill you die on and that's fine yeah that's fine. Um, I privately want to redo my bathroom is all steampunk. So like it's all like copper and brown. and um, But you know, the trouble with um, living with a husband is that they can veto you. Damn it. I know. So you We know. just need to work on him. Uh, you know, nine ten times out of ten, I get my way on everything. So if I just like <laughs> let him have this one and it's like yeah. not a big deal, yeah. then I can continue to go back and just lay waste to the really cool things. <laughs> <laughs> like getting the bathroom redone in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's. Uh, There's nothing wrong with our bathroom except for that I can't get into the tub very easily because I'm broken. I feel like that's a very valid, uh, you know, issue to have with the bathroom. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I'm really, yeah. Someday I'll be able to shower properly again, and I'm really excited about doing it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, none of this is good anyway, content. No. Uh, yeah, steampunk. <laughs> I think has its moment of the sun i don't know i just really like this era i really get excited about like like i love western movies mm. have you ever watched the magnificent seven or true grit no i've seen the newer true grit okay yeah. so i have historically not like western movies and i really think, well i think i'm just i don't know i i'm not honestly a huge fan of like most old movies really yeah, I I don't know why. I think I I need good visuals a lot of times, and and like if it's just I don't know. See the visuals uh, of I, westerns, like it's all these sweeping landscapes. I would think that would be a dead ringer for yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. 
I think I think what it is is uh, my father has um, historically <laughs> been a big proponent of Once Upon a Time in the West, and he's yeah. uh, and he's been trying to get us to watch it and love it for our whole lives. And I've seen the first part of and it. You're contrarian, and I'm contrarian, and also it's just the slowest movie in the world. <laughs> That's true. It's I think that one's considered a spaghetti western. It's a it's a um, mm-hmm. Italian director right yeah it is slow it is so slow but what i will say but you know what it's so it has such a good payoff it is such a good film and it's filmed so well okay maybe maybe i'll give it a shot um but i i have been getting into some more recent westerns like i really love godless um as a series and i feel like we've talked about this that one disappointed me and you yep you didn't like it but i liked it because i feel like it was more in line with my aesthetics of what I want in a Western, and I had a really good soundtrack. Um, in fact, I've put together uh, a Spotify a playlist of what I call atmospheric Western. Nice. <laughs> and it, it's so it's that soundtrack, and then the soundtrack to a movie that I haven't seen, um, but uh, Hostiles. Have you heard of that one? Yes. Yeah, it has a really good soundtrack. Um, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so my problem with Godless is just that in the end, the women were not the main fighters. That is also my problem with it, too. It that was, was like all. It was advertised as this, like, uh, Western, but for ladies, uh, girl power. And then it ended up being way more about the men in the story. Exactly. Um, and so that that's why it was disappointing to me. Jeff Daniels, though, uh, is, as always, he's just incredible. He's Also, incredible. I love Michelle Dockery in that. And She did really well, right? And who is that other woman who I can't... I, I love the her. She's in everything. slightly plus size lady. I can't remember her name either. Um, I'm going to look it up because I need to know. Sure. Sure. Merritt Weaver. Merritt Weaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. She's um, so good. It, but yeah, Godless was just a little disappointing to me. Um, mm-hmm. Where True Grit. True Grit was fantastic. The new one, the old one's also quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, Magnificent Seven, great film. Uh, okay. New one and old one, both great. Gosh, I really like John Wayne movies. I will recognize <laughs> they are problematic as fuck. Uh-huh. You know, like this um, cowboy Indian trope is pretty foul. Yes. So that's something, like, let's call that out right at the beginning. These are problematic. But, you know, even uh, even more modern Westerns like Django, uh, mm-hmm. fantastic. And I didn't enjoy it necessarily, but I certainly was fascinated by the other Tarantino that kind of happens in the Django universe. Um, oh. oh. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it has something to do with numbers. Yes. Um, <laughs> So that one was very hard to watch, uh, mm-hmm. even for me, who doesn't have, like, a problem with gore. Mm-hmm. But that one was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, I always have to take Tarantino with <sighs> anti-Annie amount of salt. Um, because he really, God, he just really looks for any excuse to use the N-word. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with Tarantino, um, but that's... That's a whole other podcast. It hasn't gotten to the point where I am with Woody Allen. Like, I won't watch a Woody Allen film, but, like, okay. goddamn, Tarantino's flirting with it. Yeah. Like, there's no... Just, I'm just tired of it. I don't want to get into it, because I'm going to have... I'm going to go on a whole rant. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, so, um, let's jump in, because I'm excited. Uh, my arguably favorite Western movie mm-hmm. is Tombstone. Have you seen okay. it? I have not. Okay, so. and you've never seen any of the renditions of, like, you know... The gunfight at the OK Corral, or 
I, Are you familiar I'm, with the story I'm at all? I'm familiar with like those words and that, that it's a thing. Okay. I know nothing about it. That's okay. That's okay. okay. Um, so I, I want to talk about the haunting of Tombstone, Arizona. Okay. Uh, Tombstone, it is a real place. Um, and it was part of the American Southwest mining boom. Um, mm. Now, the mining this boom. This is like real old West shit. Yeah, this is the, the fucking real deal. This is the mm-hmm. real fucking deal here. Okay. Uh, where we were going out post-Civil War. This is Reconstruction Era Civil um, America. Mm-hmm. And the push West was mostly complete except for areas that were very difficult to settle Mm -hmm. like the deserts in Mm -hmm. arizona new mexico and so uh in 1877 a miner named ed shiflin uh was pushing west uh into the area that is now tombstone and he had been traveling with um fort soldiers uh soldiers who were civil war soldiers as we think of them uh, Mm -hmm. but they had been moved west to defend forts against the native american threat quote unquote. Yeah. 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 Problematic. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, Ed was going to push up into the mesas. Uh, Mesa means tabletop in, um, and and the the geologic structures of these mountains is that they have tall, flat plains that look like tables rising up out of the desert floor. Jen, were you about to say something? Um, I was just going to say that the, the geography of the West is one of the most interesting things. Like for someone who grew up, you know, in pretty standard East Coast to Midwest and only has really traveled to Europe and like used to that kind of like terrain, to go out West and to drive through the desert and to see like all these rock formations was like one of the weirdest, most surreal experiences. And I understand now like why everyone's kind of like obsessed with it because it's just, it is so incredibly beautiful in such a strange way, like quote unquote strange, if you're not used to that kind of geography. So. Right. It's, it's very foreign. It's very romantic. It seems kind of like you're on another planet, right? It does. I highly recommend traveling out there if, and and like just doing a full drive through the West. And some people even hike it. Um, now I would never, but good for those who would. (laughs) Good for you. <laughs> uh, there's some really beautiful sites, especially if you check out like Arches National Park. Mm-hmm. That whole area has so many, like, because it's also near the Grand Canyon ish. Um, right. And, right. Like, there's so many, it's so beautiful. There's so many beautiful, like, national parks and like preserves there. It's, oh. And, and that's one of gorgeous. the things that I think we've said this before. It's one of the things that America actually does well uh, is the preservation of national park land. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you are from another country and you have the opportunity to visit America uh, once coronavirus has left us. Go to the West. Go Don't West, come here. young man. Go West. <laughs> go West. Absolutely. Um, so Ed was pushing off into these mesas. Uh, he was a prospector and he was looking for, he was looking to strike it with gold or silver as so many other people had done uh, mm. pretty much from 1849 onward. And he was told by these soldiers, you're more likely to find your tombstone than any... Hmm. actual mines out there well when he struck it rich on a huge silver mine he started calling (laughs) his mine tombstone and then pretty soon 
a town of the same name sprung up. <laughs> Basically, like suck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I I like a spite name. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's actually it's one of the uh, frequently listed names as like America's weirdest town names. Mm. Um, for, like Hell, Michigan. Hell, Michigan. Climax, Michigan. <laughs> Big Beaver, Wisconsin. Boner National Park. Like, there's a lot. <laughs> Do you like that I just had those like rattling around in my head? I like that they're pretty much all sex based. I mean, I'm sure there's other ones too, and then like two. But those are the ones that those are the ones that that stuck in my head. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because I'm a dirty old lady. Um, So Tombstone became a boom city. Um, A boom city is when people get word of a of a mine. Uh, They go out and they start buying slots of land to prospect on. Mm. And suddenly, very suddenly, a town will go from a population of nothing to a population of 400 in a week and then thousands within a year. Um, So in 1877, she was settled. Uh, Mm. The town was laid out. And then in the following 10 years, even though the census only listed her as having a population of about a thousand, historic documents say that she has somewhere between four to 10,000 citizens. Wow. Yeah. So why why the discrepancy there? Do you have any do you have any guesses? Oh, um is there like a difference between like people who are like permanent residents and people who are just kind of like traveling through and like staking their claim and moving on like That's a really okay. great guess and I love okay. that. Okay. Um really smart, very well rooted in history. Uh no, <laughs> it's you. because you. you know who doesn't fill out the fucking census? Criminals. Oh. It was very quickly a seedy and somewhat dangerous town. It had over 100 saloons, uh, mm. fra- uh, all sorts of brothels, um, or a more upscale bordello. Um, and at the beginning, there literally was no law. It was unincorporated territory. Mm-hmm. And so these, these places out west, these boom towns, uh, until they had like town charters or had ratified a state charter, there were no laws. Like, there literally <laughs> were no laws. So you could... <laughs> a libertarian's wet dream. <laughs> honestly, yes. <laughs> and it was so fucking dangerous and stupid. Uh, it was completely legal for you to murder somebody in cold blood and throw their body in the street. There was no law against that because you were in unincorporated territory. So law became a matter of public opinion. It's like the internet. (laughs) I mean, kind of, yeah. Often the internet is called the wild, wild west. Yeah. Um, So these places would have lynching crews. They would sometimes call it jail time justice or cowboy justice. The big sins were less about like human rights, like don't murder people, don't slap people around, and Mm -hmm. and more about like don't rustle other people's cattle. You know, like to become a criminal, you had to steal from somebody. Yeah, because I feel like the law is, um, like, the vanguard of of lawmaking is property rights. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And that's very much the kind of law that was taken into consideration here. Oh, you raped a woman? That's unfortunate. Who cares? Right. Um, Oh, you... Unless unless you consider her to be another man's property. In which which case... case... You need to pay the man. (laughs) Uh, But, oh, oh, hey, you were trying to cover up this guy's cattle brand with your own. Oh, okay, we're going to slap you in jail for three years. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, these were the kind of laws. And and even then, it had to be the kind of justice that was carried out by somebody who saw to carry that justice out. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if there wasn't an interest in prosecuting a certain case, it just wouldn't be prosecuted. Sure. Like uh, somebody stole the town drunk's cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't really care about that guy, so we don't really care. 
Yeah. And another dynamic that I like that really only occurred to me recently was how um, a lot of emancipated um, former, you know, enslaved people had moved out west and black cowboys are a huge thing out in the in western history um but also a lot of former confederate soldiers <laughs> moved out west and so just also bake in some like <laughs> severe racial tension some real contention yeah um i'm so glad that you brought up black cowboys thank you for saying that uh yes black cowboys were were a major thing i want a whole western movie about black cowboys and black communities in the west i want that i would love that that would be fantastic um, I want Denzel Washington in it because mm-hmm. he's in the Magnificent Seven and he's pretty great. Anyway, go on. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cowboys is a very generic term. Mm-hmm. And we use it to mean a lot of things. Um, but I want us to understand that the way I'm going to use it today is that cowboys were gangsters. They were cattle rustlers. Mm-hmm. A lot of... The cowboys who we think of as like, you know, the bad guys of the West. Those mm. are cowboys. As a po- those are the cowboys that I'm going to discuss today. As opposed to cowboys who were ranch hands, this was a much more common thing all the way up through the 1950s. <laughs> who are just literal cowboys. <laughs> yeah. So like when you're thinking of the movie Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Curly is a cowboy. He's yeah. literally a ranch hand who works with cows. Yeah. Um, the Earps fight a cowboy gang, uh, at the battle of the OK Corral Mm -hmm. and the cowboys that they are fighting because the Earps are supposed to be such big heroes, Mm -hmm. uh, men of the law. These cowboys that they're fighting are gangster rustlers, uh, people who steal cows. Oh, okay. So that's just kind of a difference I wanted to talk about. Um, so... Let's talk about the herbs for a second. Right. Um, so we discussed Shefflin has founded the city 1877. Um, he It was a boom city because he found silver bullion. Uh, his mines gave out 40 to 85 million in silver bullion while they ran. Uh, they eventually started to shut down because they hit the water line and the, the mines started flooding. Oh, and yeah. the pumps were too expensive to make further mining worth it. Eventually, because of that... Um, kind of by the 1900s to 1950, uh, the city really did take a dip in population. It almost became a ghost town. Um, it was down to about 600 people. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, until they started working to, um, preserve its kind of Wild West Irpy past. Mm. Um, because in the 1950s, what was very popular? Uh, spaghetti Westerns. (laughs) That's right. Westerns. Um, Wyatt Earp was incredibly popular at that point in time and cowboys were very popular. So they made a tourist attraction out of their city. Most of the city that you see today, and, and if you have the opportunity to visit, I recommend it, looks pretty much exactly the same. Like if Virgil Wyatt and Morgan Earp were to walk the streets of Tombstone, they would be like, yep, this is pretty much how I remember it. <laughs> um, it is largely preserved, except for the site of the OK Corral. <laughs> the OK Corral... Uh, that you visit today, where they have daily pantomimes of the 30-second shootout, is actually on a different location. Uh, you have to drive over the original location, which is now covered by freeway, oh. uh, in order to get to the fake site. And I think that's kind of funny. Uh, an American tradition. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so the Earp brothers uh, became men of legend uh, from the American West. They were uh, kind of the famous lawmen of the mm. West. And um, especially Wyatt Earp, who traveled all over the place, 
Uh, he did eventually land in L.A., and we'll, we're going to come, come back and talk to that. Um, but he, uh, these these guys, uh, Wyatt, Virgil, and Morgan, were not the upstanding lawmen that we kind of think of. What? Yeah, a lot Corruption of Corruption in law enforcement? You know, they were a little bit corrupt. Uh, they murdered a few good people before they became cops. Uh, they also dispensed justice as they saw fit. Um, same with Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday was deputized for the Clanton gang fight, but he was, uh, he was a shady addict. He had tuberculosis. All of the Wyatts and, uh, Doc Holliday were involved in prostitution. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they usually were the boyfriends to very powerful madams, entrepreneurs. (laughs) Uh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday each before they became lawmen, uh, definitely murdered men. Hmm. They were murderers. And so um, it's interesting that they've become these like bastions of justice. Yeah. And it really tells us that history is written by the winners. Oh, yeah. Um, so the shootout at the OK Corral, it only lasted 30 seconds. And it was not quite the culmination uh, because there were events that followed. Uh, but it certainly was the climax of a buildup of tensions between the Earp brothers and this local gang of, of cowboy rustlers. So the Clanton gang... Uh, versus the Earps and Doc Holliday happened in front of the OK Corral. Um, it lasted 30 seconds and it left Frank and Tom McCleary and Billy Clanton dead. Hmm. Uh, the Earps suffered a few gunshot wounds, uh, but for the most part were fine. Uh, in the months following the shootout at the OK Corral, Virgil is eventually murdered and Morgan is shot. Assa- uh, he's, there's an assassination attempt against him. Sounds like it was successful. Or, or wait, oh, he was shot but survived? Yes. Okay. So Virgil does not survive. Uh, okay. uh, he was the one who actually, um, Virgil was the initial marshal in Tombstone. And he brought his brothers and their mm. girlfriends and <clears throat> prostitutes. Sex workers. Yep. <laughs> um, and you know what? Honestly, a lot of the Old West is built literally on the backs of sex workers. So yeah. much of the Old West was funded. Like any schools, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of churches, a lot of um, like community buildings like opera houses, mm-hmm. things like that were all funded almost almost universally by yeah. brothels and bars. That was one part of Godless that I really did love was that there was one woman who uh, was a former sex worker and now is like, you know, the local school teacher. And, yeah. And she's like one of the richest women in town. And she's like, yeah, how do you think I made all this money? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, if you're familiar with the founding of Seattle, Washington. I'm not, no. Well, the Seattle, Washington that we know and love today mm-hmm. uh, was large, and, and um, the University of, of Washington at Seattle. Mm-hmm. Guess how all the money came from that? Oh, I have, I have an idea based on our conversation. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they were listed for census documents as laundresses and sewing circle workers, <laughs> uh, but they were 1,000% whores and good for them. Yeah. There's something to be said for, for making a dollar. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Listen, get your money. Yeah, get it, girl. Yeah. Uh, I think we all know that in, in, like, when the world ends, I'm totally opening a brothel. Yeah. Right? Like, wouldn't I be, like, the dopest madam? I mean, I feel like in another, in in your previous life, you were. I mean, Thank like, you. <laughs> Thank you. I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> so, um, so the shootout happens. Uh, there's events that follow. It's, it's actually not that interesting of a shootout because it's really just a gang of toughs on the street versus these lawmen, but it gets built up 
into this grand thing by Hollywood, into this huge thing, but it really did only last 30 seconds. Um, the criminals were, these three criminals were killed, four others got away, mm. um, and these men get buried, um, and, and kind of life continues. Mm. So, so how did it become such a big thing? It's because Wyatt Earp continued to move around the West, and mm. he, he became this big name, this larger-than-life name. He eventually settles in L.A. In the 1920s, he dies in 1929. In the 1920s, L.A. becomes the worldwide seat of cinema. Mm-hmm. And one of the fastest things to make and most popular things to make were Westerns. So he mm-hmm. started consulting and he became friends with these movie producers who paint and, and writers who painted the story his way. So he was able to become this sort of larger than life character of his own design Wow! Yeah. by being friends with people like Tom Mix and uh, other wild, wild West uh, actors and stars Mm. Um, and he, he was the man who was really there, the man who really knew what went down. That's something that's uh, like... And so he got to tell things the way he wanted them to be told. But. Yeah, like about... That's wild about early Hollywood is that they were making movies where they had historical consultants that were like literally there. Right, um, yeah. So like this guy... And then I was also talking about this the other day with someone, how um, there was a silent movie made about ti- the Titanic um, 28 days after it sank. Yeah. <laughs> and it starred a woman who was a survivor and wore the same dress she wore the night the ship went down. Isn't that incredible? And then later they made another movie about it. I think A Night to Remember. That's the one. I think we already talked about this. It's fine. But they had historical consultants that were actual Titanic survivors. And it's like... Just wild that the early days of Hollywood, they're like, yeah, let's make this historical drama, but it's like not that. I mean, I guess it happens today still. <laughs> it's a historic drama of 28 days ago. <laughs> yeah, like it it happens still to like we we're constantly churning out like <laughs> retrospective films about recent events. Like I shouldn't be surprised. It's just like they're recent. Yeah, we've had like what, four 9-11 movies in the last 20 years? Yeah, it's just that their recent events are like, way more historical from our perspective. I think they feel so. They feel like that, but yeah. it's just because we're this far removed from it. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this show is not called This Podcast is About Wyatt Earp. Uh, hmm. This podcast is fucking haunted. It is. And uh, all of these sites that I'm going to briefly tell you about have hauntings, allegedly. Mm. Uh, so the first site being the site of the OK Corral uh, has... Um, the the three cowboy criminals, Frank and Tom McCleary and Billy Clanton, all three of them have been seen on the site with their guns drawn. Mm-hmm. It's also very common to get orbs in uh-huh. a crowded, dusty street. So grain of salt, grain of salt, grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you also get a lot of cold spots. Uh, and when people take photos, they will sometimes mm-hmm. see what appears to be people in historic costumes in the background of photos where nobody ever was. Ooh, spooky. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> the, the site that has the most photographed activity uh-huh. is called the Boot Hill Grave. Oh. Um, so the Boot Hill Grave... Uh, it's a, it's originally Tombstone Cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's called the Boot Hill Grave because most of the people, there's 250 citizens who are buried there. Mm-hmm. And most of the people who are buried there died violent, unnatural deaths with mm. their boots on. Oh. So by dying with their boots on, it, <laughs> okay. it came suddenly. They didn't die at home in bed. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so these these three criminals are buried there. Um, and if you are to Google, and I, I do encourage you to do so. Oh, I'm looking at it now. Oh, good. Uh, a lot of the people, so you'll see there are some examples of like, there's like a something, a, another person in the backdrop of some of these photos. Oh. Um, so one of the oh, most famous ones, <laughs> one of the most famous uh, is a fairly modern photo. I think the photo was taken in 2004 of a man. It's a black and white photo mm-hmm. um, and he's wearing kind of 1880s cowboy getup. And if you look behind him, there appears to be a man in a hat, possibly holding a knife, sitting in the shrubbery growing around these graves. Okay. They promised there was nobody there. (laughs) Uh, So as you flip through these photos, there are tons, Mm -hmm. uh, literally just so many photos of people. And then like suddenly you'll see like, oh, there's a lady back there or, oh, there's somebody who's like... You can see somebody walking out of this, the picture. Mm. Um, allegedly, Billy Clanton of the OK Corral fight mm-hmm. gets out of his grave every day and walks back to Tombstone in time for the battle. <gasps> Wouldn't that be fun to see? Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So my favorite site, and mind you, I say my favorite. I've never been to any of these places, but goddamn, I'm going to go someday. Mm-hmm. I want. I Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of Tombstone, Arizona, and just like, it's so... Old West aesthetic, like, I want to go. TM, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little tacky. But like, I'll be the first one to tell you. It's like a little yeah. Disney World, it's but, like, like the old West, low rent. It's uh, like the part, part of any, like, Six Flags. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, they have the, like, souvenir shops that are, like, mm-hmm. you know... Miss Lydia's sin rags or whatever. Yeah. Like, they have the tacky shit. God damn it, I want to go. <laughs> um, me too, me too. Put it on our road trip, Jen, we'll go. Okay. Go there expecting to be part of a tourist trap. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's designed as a tourist trap. Don't pretend it's something that it's not. Yeah. Um, but it's still going to be interesting. And I still genuinely believe that it's haunted as fuck. I think so too. So this is the most haunted place. This third place is the most haunted place in Tombstone. Okay. Um, it is also probably the most uh, historically maintained, mm-hmm. and it's called the Birdcage Theater. Ooh, a good haunted theater. Haunted. I know. Well, they say theater. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, this is not... So, so there was a, a proper theater, uh-huh. um, and it was called the Shiflin Hall, uh, okay. and that was uh, built by the founder, Ed Shiflin's brother, to be a proper opera house where respectable citizens could go. <laughs> the Birdcage Theater was not that. Gotcha. The Birdcage Theater is very much a saloon and gambling hall and bordello. Um, actually, it wasn't even as, as good as a bordello. It was called the Birdcage Theater because there are a number of cages that were secured to the ceiling mm-hmm. that had women in them, yes. <laughs> like, like bird cages. Oh, yeah, of course. That was uh, my first assumption. <laughs> posed and positioned and sometimes those bird cages would be utilized by patrons uh Uh you could you could also get a bedroom um but the depending on what you were into um so the birdcage was considered a very raucous and rowdy place it was written up in the new york times as the wildest place from basin street to the barbary coast Hmm. uh it also is the site of 26 unnatural deaths and they went through and counted 140 bullet holes in all the walls. Wow. Still present today. Uh, and all of that totals up to being the home of 31 ghosts. Mm. Damn. 
so quite a, quite a few things uh, go bump in the night at the Birdcage Theater. Um, I have written down a couple of them. There are mm-hmm. more, uh, so I'm not I'm not telling you everything, um, but it's uh, it's pretty compelling. I definitely want to go here. Okay. Of course, you'll have the common sounds and smells. So you'll hear laughter, drinks Ooh. clinking in glasses. Yeah. Uh, music from bands that aren't there anymore. Mm. Uh, women singing. You'll get smells like cigar smoke. You might hear cards shuffling. So all of those things that you kind of expect to hear from an old Bordello saloon in the Old West. Mm-hmm. But you also get visual hauntings. Okay. Uh, a very common sight, a stagehand in striped pants with a clipboard. You know, you can kind of picture the ones, uh, the ones who would like play the piano with the things over their arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walks across the stage when it's dark. Uh, and so people have seen him quite frequently. They've also had some items around the and I always find this very compelling um, and I don't know if I find this compelling because it happens to me I guess mm-hmm. um, things go missing yeah and they get moved around and it just feels like there's somebody else involved so one of their dice tables one of their historic dice tables which was very like many hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. was picked up in the night and moved under a sign that says, do not disturb our resident 26 ghosts. Oh my God. What? It took eight men to move that dice table back. <gasps> because that's how heavy the dice table was. How did it move? Okay. How did it move? Oh my gosh. Oh, I know. Isn't that great? Um, they also have in one of the bird cages on the ceiling, a Wyatt Earp statue. Okay. That had, it was dressed in real clothes. And one of the things that it had was a real 10 gallon hat. And it was very common for when the birdcage would close, the hat would be on the floor the next morning. Hmm. And if the hat wasn't on the floor, then Wyatt would be laying on his side or he would be turned to the back of the cage. Hmm. Uh, something, something would happen to the lawman of Tombstone. Hmm. They also once had an antique poker chip go missing. Uh, the card table that... Doc Holiday used to deal cards at is encased in glass. Okay. And some of the poker chips that were there, they were handled by Doc Holiday himself, uh, <clears throat> were, were missing. And so in the middle of a regular table, one of those encased in glass showed up. Uh, and so they were like, oh, okay, quick, we're going to, you know, while it's out of this secure environment, we're going to put it in the safe and we'll let a historian take a look at it. Okay. So the historian shows up, they open the safe. It's, it's not, not there. there. Of course Ooh. not. Ooh. Of course not. Ugh, frustrating. Uh, it did show up again later in a locked desk drawer. And nobody has any explanation for how it got there. Hmm. I know. Um, and so uh, one of the other things, this would not have been present during its time as a saloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, it operated 24 hours a day from 1881 to 1889. <sighs> uh, can you, I like, right? Like, I'm tired for them. Uh, and also, when would you have cleaned it? Surprise, you would oh. never have cleaned it. No, no. I mean, they didn't have germ theory back then. Well. I mean, I guess. Well, I don't know about that. Actually. It, it was developed right around then. Yeah. Germ germ theory and the telephone came around the same time. And they're just washing out of a bowl of water. <laughs> yep. All of the uh, all of the bathing water was shared from around the bordello. And they <laughs> used and <sighs> reused a single rag. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, this was not present as uh-huh. part of the grounds, but uh, a Black Mariah hearse, uh, which was one, of, it was the pride and joy of the city because it had curved glass. Yeah, that's uh, fancy. Yeah, expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, as we've discussed before, hearses um, and funerals became fashionable, uh, mm. and so in towns that had a lot of new money, if you had somebody die. You wanted Mm -hmm. to flash some of that new money. Hell yeah. So this Black Mariah hearse is from the time period. Uh, It has curved glass, which can kind of affect your vision. But -hmm. apparently it is very common for visitors to look inside the curved glass of the Black Mariah and see faces of the dead laying there still. So there is a lot to see in Tombstone. Um, There's actually seven other historic sites filled with ghosts that I didn't touch on. Um, just because I want, you know, we're not made of time and I wanted to save, uh, some things for when you guys actually go there. I hope you get a chance to actually yeah. go and visit or if you're in that area already, uh, report back because I think it's cool as hell. That is so cool. I really want to go there. Now. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Um, as soon as it's safe, pack up your shit, I'll drive okay. and we'll go. We'll dialyze on the way. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's what I have. Uh, I hope it's not too underwhelming, but I, I was really excited about it. No, I love all of that. That was amazing. I think it's important to remember that the herps, like if you take nothing else away, the herps were not that holy, okay? Just that's all I want you to remember. I, I mean, I think I think everyone, if you want to take anything away from the Old West, is that no one is a saint. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, well, Jen, I will. Uh, I will let you. I will turn. I will turn things over to you. Okay, uh, things are going to take a bit of a turn. Yeah, you sh- suggested doing the old west, and I. While I do, I loved everything about your story. I would, as we've discussed, I have somewhat like I. I have historically not known much or like had many feelings about the old west. Um, I'm mm-hmm. learning to love it, but it's not something that I'm like really well versed in to the extent where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this one thing. For um, sure, for sure. And I was also feeling a little bit of just like election withdrawal, like I just want comfort food. Um, so I just went back to uh, an old standby that I've been a little apprehensive about covering just because it's been covered by so many different people. Um, but I figured this was the time. This is the time. The time is now and it is... I will somewhat relate it to the topic of the Old West, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> the Velisca Axe Murders <laughs> of 1912. Well, it's got a great name. Yes. So, um, it's... Now, I'll be honest, I don't really know this story. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, also, prepare to get real bummed out. Um, Aww. So, it's about axe murders. So, everyone, if you don't want to hear about people being violently axe murdered and I'm not, and I say people, uh, most of the victims were children. So. Oh, Jen, why are you doing this to me? Because it's, yeah, you're going to have a hard time with this. And so I'm going to, it's, but it's a classic um, unsolved murder that is. No, it doesn't even have like justice at the end. Nope. You want me to listen to a bunch of kids get hacked up and then nobody even goes to jail for it? Uh, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> Jen, this is not the assignment. Um, Listen, a lot of people got violently murdered in the Old West. Um, and yeah. So anyway. 
All right. I still love you. Let's hear it. Please just hang, hang with me here. Um, so Villisca, Iowa, um, it is in, it's a rural town in the Southwest of Iowa. So it's like, I don't really consider Iowa to be the West yet. Um, it's kind of the gateway to the West. Although by 1912, I mean, it's, we're securely past, uh, yeah. Music man territory. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's rural. It still is rural. Um, but I I know that there's going to be a lot of people being like, Iowa's not the West. I know it's fine. Um, like I said, this is a stretch. <laughs> Absolutely. That's okay. Uh, you are allowed to stretch. This is not, this podcast has to be the way Kate wants it to be. Yeah. Um, so it is in the Southwest part of Iowa. Um, at the time it had a population of about 2000 people. Oh. It now has a population of just over a thousand. So it's gotten smaller. Sure. But uh, despite its small size, at the time it was very well connected to the outside world um, with, uh, you know, a well-developed uh, railroad system. Um, so it had frequent arrivals and departures from the local station. So, you know, my, my relation to the Old West is, is trains, essentially. Sure. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, definitely trains kind of really opened up the West in a way that was very accessible to a whole new group of people that didn't want to, you know, say, go on the Oregon Trail. (laughs) 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 So this is a small town, but it was definitely well-developed at the time. This is not like a rickety old saloon. This is like, imagine small town Main Street, um, that kind of situation. So the the Moore family um, was one of the most affluent families in Valeska at the time. Although you wouldn't necessarily know it by looking at the house. I think their house was like, it's it's about a thousand square foot. <laughs> like, oh. It's small, but I mean, it's also like 1912. So right. the Moore family consists of Josiah um, or Joe. A lot of sources call him Joe, uh, who was 43 at the time. Uh, Sarah, who was 39. And then their four children, Herman, Mary, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul. Um, and they Wait, were... are Mary and Mary Catherine separate? No, sorry. I just corrected myself. Um, I think she went more by Catherine. Okay. I don't know. The source I was looking at gave both first and middle names for, like, everyone. So it was, like, <laughs> it's fine. Herman was 11. Uh, Mary Catherine was 10. Arthur was 7. And Paul was 5. That's so young. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, like I said, um pretty affluent in the community and well-liked. They lived in a rather small but nice white two-story farmhouse. Uh, So Josiah was um, more of a businessman, but at the time, it's kind of a situation where everyone basically lives on a farm, even if you're not strictly a farmer. So they had like a barn and some animals, but they weren't like he he was mostly considered a businessman who sold farm equipment. Um, on Sunday, June 9th, 1912, um, it was Children's Day. Sarah had helped plan a program at the Presbyterian Church. So that happened in the evening. Um, the whole family attended. Um, the festivities ended around 9.30 p.m. They kind of stayed to chat a little bit with friends and then returned home along with two neighbor friends of Mary Catherine, uh, Lena, who was 12, and Ina, who was 8, Stillinger. Great names. Yeah, Lena and Ina. <laughs> <laughs> so that classic thing that parents do 
that is, I don't just like masochistic to name their children rhyming oh. names. Oh, I'm the daughter of Sharon, whose twin sister is Karen. <laughs> In addition to rhyming, they're also supposed to be moralistic, sharing and caring. I doesn't that make you want to die? <sighs> A little bit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it is. So it's the Moore family, the six people in the Moore family, and then Lena and Ina um, still injure. Wait, so there's more children entering this murder scene? Yeah. Jen, god damn it. Yeah. It's just, it's so, like, I don't want, <laughs> don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not like, oh my god, I love this because children get murdered. Like, it's a, this is a fucking tragedy. This is definitely true crime territory, and I realize that you are not as much into true crime as I am. <laughs> I know, it's fine. True crime bums me out. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but like ghosts, I can kind of be like, ooh, spooky. Mm-hmm. What a little comeuppance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like true crime is just like cold and sad and. Yeah. Ugh, it's, it's fine. But it is genuinely one of the most like terrifying, like haunted places I can think of. I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit. You can spend the night in this house. <laughs> you. People do. It still, oh still exists. And the stories I've heard, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if I would want to. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. So buckle up. Um, yeah, like I feel like I'm really kind of laying the groundwork for this whole thing is going to be a huge content warning. So if you can't handle this, I'm giving you plenty of opportunity to bow out. Absolutely. Uh, except for you, Kate. Right. I'm strapped in. It's fine. <laughs> um. Okay. So, um, the whole family plus their two friends arrive home to the Moore family household around 9.45 to 10 p.m. So, the next morning, Monday, June 10th, 1912, the neighbor, Mary Peckham, becomes a little concerned when she didn't see the Moores out and about doing their morning chores. Like I said, everyone lives on a farm, so if you are not feeding the chickens by 7 a.m., um, something is clearly wrong. Right. Um, so she, like, kind of debated whether or not to, you know, go over there. She finally decides, okay, what's up? I need to figure this out. I'm going to check on them. She goes and knocks on the door. No one answers. Um, she tried opening the door and found that it was locked, which was unusual. You know, your standard small town. Nobody locked the doors. So she... Uh, lets the chickens out because, you know, animals got to get fed. Um, and then she goes and calls Ross Moore, who is um, Josiah's brother and a local grocer. Um, so Ross was the only other person in town, really, who had a key to their house. Um, so that's why she goes and gets him. He comes and he knocks on the door, shouts, uh, but no one answers. So he unlocks the door with his copy of the house key. He And so when you enter the house, you walk in and you're immediately in the kitchen and there's like stairs going upstairs and then there's another doorway that goes to a parlor. And if you go through the parlor, there's another door to a first floor like guest bedroom and then the other two bedrooms are upstairs. These bedrooms must be like for a thousand square feet. (laughs) Everything must have been so tiny. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I've seen like pictures and videos of this house and it is not large <laughs> so goodness gracious yeah because um, like my house not counting the basement because you're not in michigan you don't count the basement sure uh so like only the upstairs portion mm-hmm. is 1400 square feet yeah and like that's only two bedrooms a kitchen and a living room mm-hmm. and the bathroom yeah so like i can only imagine 
Yeah, and someone pointed out that the fact that they even had like a guest bedroom was like very strange. Um, yeah, for a house that size in in that area, like nobody really like that was kind of uncommon. And some people have guessed that it wasn't always a guest bedroom, and sometimes they would like you know set it up for guests, and other times they would tear it down. We don't really know that for sure, but at this point in time, it was definitely serving as a guest room. Um, Interesting. So. He walks um, through into the parlor and peeks into the guest room and sees the bodies of the two Stillinger girls. Oh. And then quickly walks back out of the house and tells Mary Peckham to call Henry Hank Horton, the town's marshal. Um, And so Horton arrives soon after, walks through the house and finds that the entire Moore family and the Stillinger girls had been murdered in the night. Um, he sees the murder weapon, which is the family's axe, was left in the guest room where the Stillinger girls were found. That's awful. It is, yeah. He calls um, other uh, like doctors and I think a priest and, and a coroner, and they go through the house, and they kind of piece together um, what had happened from you know, the, the way the house was found and the way the clues were. So what they pieced together is that shortly after midnight or maybe the killer was laying there and wait, you know, hours before the family arrived back, the killer would have grabbed an ax from the coal shed and entered the house through the back door or whatever, which was unlocked at the time. They also could have waited in the attic. Actually, there's, I think they found... Um, like cigarette butts in the attic, which would suggest that they had waited there for a while. But they've also found oil lamps throughout the house, um, one or several, it's, it's kind of unclear, where they had taken the oil lamp and removed the chimney and placed, uh, and they like bent the wick to minimize the flame and lit it so it was like as low as possible. Okay. This is somewhat important (laughs) but and so like that's what they were using to kind of light their way through the house um so carrying the axe they would have crept up the narrow wooden stairs and went straight to the room where Josiah and Sarah were sleeping um passing the the room with the children um and once inside the room the killer would have raised the axe above their head so high it gouged a chunk out of the ceiling oh my god yeah really although I think to be fair, the ceilings probably weren't that high. <laughs> well, this is either a way, second story room in a not very large house. From the pictures I saw, it looks like it the ceiling probably would have been like under eight feet. So, so to me, it actually speaks less of low ceilings mm-hmm. and more of force and anger. Yes, like so. I have a couple axes. Uh-huh. I like to throw axes in the backyard. What you do? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. I I really like throwing axes. Yeah. Um and I'm kind of good at it. I've seen I've seen videos of you but you were like out of place. Right, yeah. I didn't know. Um you. so this is just something pre-kidney mm-hmm. uh that I would do just a little bit in the backyard. Uh not like just throw it into the hill, you know, not like Sure. Yeah. Anyway, um so if you're going to throw an axe that hard or, or raise an axe that mm-hmm. hard, uh, there's a lot of force behind that if you're going to gouge something out of the ceiling. Yeah. So to me, that says whoever was there 
was mm-hmm. angry or scared. Yeah. And like, or like trying to psych themselves up to work fast and hard. Yeah. Yeah. There's just still a lot of really psych- horrific. There's a lot of psychology in this case that is just like, I find personally extremely creepy, um, which is partially why I wanted to tell the story because like, sure. I'm interested in creepy stories, even though they're like horrific and like, I just find them fascinating and like cases like this, it's just like, I have so many questions and I know it's a real bummer, but I still am just like fascinated by like the why and especially since we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so... Anyway, I hope I'm not bumming you out too hard. Um, No, I'm okay so far. Okay, so it's about to get graphic. Um, Oh, great. (laughs) Hey, it's about to get worse. Cool. Yeah, well, I haven't actually described um, what happened to them yet, (laughs) which is what I'm about to do now. So if that's going to gross you out, then... (laughs) I'll just hang up briefly. Okay, um, so... (laughs) So, yeah, they found gouge marks in the ceiling above... Um, Josiah's body. Um, so he was victim number one. He was victim number one. And so what they assumed happened to him was that the killer had raised the axe above their head and then brought down the flat of the blade <gasps> down on the back of his head, which, if it's any comfort to you, likely killed him instantly. Yeah. Which is like, that's one of the weirdest parts about this case too. Pretty much every, all of the victims slept through it. Like no one seems to have really woken up um, except for one person. I will get to that. Likely they, they struck and killed him instantly and then did the same to Sarah before she woke up um, and then proceeded to the children's room and did the same thing to all four of the more children. And then walked back down the stairs to the guest room to do the same to Lena and Ina. And Lena is the one who has shown some, showed some signs of having woken up. I think she had like some defensive wounds. Oh Um, my God, that poor baby. Yeah. That she must've been so scared. At this point, it evidence suggested that um, after the killer killed everyone, they retraced their steps and quote, systematically reduced the heads of all six moors to a bloody pulp. Specifically the moors, not the Scheffler girls. The Stillinger girls. Um, Stillinger I girls. I think also the... Um, I don't know. They said specifically to Josiah um, that they he was struck an estimated 30 times. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. So It takes so long, too. Yeah. So it goes from... Like, now, are we talking a hatchet or an axe? Uh, everyone says an axe. Okay, so and we're talking two-handed. Yeah, long... it's not like a, a, a single-handed, like, hatchet. Boom, it's, boom, 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 where you can go like quite a, fast. Yeah, the, I, I think the pictures I've seen of it, it was like... There are know, pictures? Well, I don't know. I think it's just like this is what it would have been. I don't think I've seen pictures of the actual, although it was left at the scene. But it was like, you know, a two-handed, like... I don't know, arm's length. Right. So if I were going to do something 30 times mm-hmm. with a short hatchet, mm-hmm. I could make fairly quick work of that. Yeah. But with a big axe, that's a lot of energy that you're expounding. Two arms, you're yeah. working your back. Yeah. Why? I d- if they're already dead. good question. Why? It's definitely crossing the line into overkill because it's like, why you don't need to do that. I could see... If you wanted to, like, 
people to not be able to recognize it, but this was like in their home. So obviously people could tell immediately who they were. Um, right. So it's, um, yeah. And I don't think they had the thought of if you mutilate the head enough, they won't know who it is. I think, like, I, I think people did that back in the day. I mean, did they didn't, they? Okay. they didn't have, they were just starting with fingerprints. So, uh, they would have had some rudimentary knowledge of like forensics. And I think also like, I think that's probably, you know, the oldest way to like, uh, disguise your victim because like that was the first thing that people were able to you know like without a, any forensics people could look at a body and be like oh I recognize that person so if you right. wanted to disguise who it was the first thing you would do is you know make their face unrecognizable Jesus yeah but again that doesn't really 30 yeah that doesn't and then he did it to the other eight members of this household mm-hmm. so but I say he but yeah, I've been using they throughout this, but, like, I think we can probably assume it was a man. But, like, we don't know for sure, so... It's true. I'm just, Women kill. I'm just being, you know, covering my butt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so definitely a lot of overkill, which is very psychologically interesting, I will say. Um, and then the next thing that they did is even more interesting from a psychology standpoint because they covered the heads of all the victims in uh, shirts or aprons or what dresses. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This gets real creepy. It's already, it's already creepy. Um, yeah. And they, so they did that to all the victims and then they covered every mirror and piece of glass <sighs> with cloth. <sighs> all right. Well, there's some religious shit there for you that's what really creeps me out like i mean obviously the horrific overkill of all the victims is terrifying and horrific but like then you cover up every reflective surface it's like there's definitely something going on there um definitely and then they still didn't leave uh they took a two-pound slab of uncooked bacon from the icebox, wrapped it in a towel, and placed it on the floor in the guest room, along with a keychain that apparently didn't even belong to the Moors. I don't know what the keychain means. <laughs> um, I think another theory that I might have is maybe it did belong to the Moors, and that's because when they left, they locked the door. And so where did they get the key? Um, so maybe that was, I don't know. There's a lot of questions to this. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Why the bacon? Why the bacon? I don't know. They also at some point uh, filled a bowl with water um, to wash the blood off their hands because there was blood in the water. Um, I think also there was some like food out that looked like they had eaten some food. Um, and then they also... Well, wiped- they'd be tired. Yeah, yeah, it's hard work. Um, it really would have been. Mm-hmm. They also appeared to have, like, wiped um, some of the blood off of the axe, but then they left the axe there. So I don't know if they were, like, because fingerprinting was a thing at this time, so maybe they were wiping the fingerprints off the axe. So at some point um, before 5 a.m., the killer left the oil lamp at the top of the stairs and left the house, locking it and taking the house keys with them. Yeah, that's basically the extent of what is known about the case. Like I said before, um, when um, the marshal arrived and saw what happened, he 
also called in two doctors who then called in a minister and then a coroner and then another doctor. And then at this time, people were kind of gathering outside because uh, this was like kind of a farmstead, but it was also like a residential area. This isn't out in the middle of nowhere. Right, their neighbors could see them from across the street. Yeah, so they had neighbors that were, like, within, you know, viewing distance, and they were also, like, close to, like, the main street. As far as I know. I don't know the, the exact geography How would you sleep in your neighborhood after that? Exactly. Um, so there was a bit of a crowd gathering outside, um, about 100 curious neighbors, because, um, you know, this is... <laughs> Before crime scene security was a thing, the the coroner, or I think that the last doctor who arrived, there was he wasn't named, but I didn't write it down. Um, but after he um, uh, left the house, he addressed the crowd outside and said, "Quote: Don't go in there, boys. You'll regret it until the last day of your life." Jesus. Guess what they did. Mm-hmm. Everybody went tours through the house. That's right. About 100 people trampled through the house, ruining all chance of gathering any real evidence and uh, just being, you know, looky-loos. Looky-loos. And in one case, someone removed a part of uh, Josiah's skull as a souvenir. (gasps) That's right, folks. Our fascination with true crime is not new, and people were terrible (laughs) in the past. (sighs) <sighs> so that's the worst of it. You, you got through it. Now I'm gonna somebody <laughs> somebody's pap pap. Somebody's somebody's peepaw. Yeah, yeah. Out there has a little. Yeah, if you are in the Iowa area and you have an unexplained chunk of bone, f- chunk of something that looks like bone or house keys that don't belong to any part of your house. Yeah, let's get this solved. Um. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Who wow. it's who would have just the lack of breeding oh, to I reach mean, out and take some like a piece of a murder victim's skull. And that is not uh like a new phenomenon at all. Like throughout this time period when like forensics was just and, and like real like police work was new um they were not securing crime scenes and people were trampling all through it and and taking souvenirs people took all kinds of like bloody fabrics and all kinds of shit and it's i think it just goes to show that like (laughs) this idealized view we have of people in the past as being morally better than us is completely wrong (laughs) jesus christ it's just disgusting yeah yeah They do have, there are some ideas of who might have done it. There are suspects. Um, One of the first suspects was um, Joe's own brother, Ross. Um, Mostly, I think, because he was, like, the only other person who had a key to the house. And, like I said, the doors were locked. Um, So, I mean, that's not an unfair thought. But I do feel like... They pro- probably could have easily gotten the keys off of Josiah, or like they've probably found them in the house. So like I don't put a ton of stock in that, but supposedly they suspected him because he might be jealous of his brother's success. But again, I don't really th- buy that <laughs> as a reason to horrifically murder everyone. <laughs> so 
Another suspect was, and not him directly, but uh, another local businessman, Frank Jones, uh, was also in business selling farm equipment. Uh, Joe Moore had worked for him for several years before starting his own rival farm equipment business. Um, and apparently their rivalry turned so bitter that they would cross to the other side of the street to avoid each other. There was also a rumor that Joe was having an affair with uh, Frank Jones's daughter-in-law. There's not a lot of evidence for this, but apparently she was well-known in town f to arrange her uh, extramarital rendezvous with various lovers over the phone, uh, you know, during the time where you had to, like, directly speak with an operator. <laughs> so sure. she was not the smoothest of uh, adulterers. <laughs> Wow. So it's like nobody disputes the fact that she was having a string of, of adulterous affairs, but probably not with Josiah Moore. So they certainly hated each other, but I don't know, does this, I, like people think that I, he probably wouldn't have been the one to directly murder them, but they do. How old is he? Um, middle-aged. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So... He maybe could have physically done it, but I think most likely um, would be that he would have hired someone to do it. Um, and that seems to be people's theory if if he is the one responsible. Um, one of the weirdest um, suspects was a man, uh, a reverend from England. Reverend? A reverend. A reverend. <laughs> reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. He was an English immigrant, um, and it's going to get problematic. <laughs> he had a history of, quote, sexual deviancy and mental illness. Um, deviancy seems to have a lot of connotations, but what they really meant was that he was kind of a, a peeping Tom and also, like, would put ads in the newspaper for a secretary and then tell the applicants that, oh, you have to work in the nude. What the fuck? Yeah. So, like, real class A kind of creepy dude. So, yeah, got was definitely in trouble frequently for, like, asking women to, like, undress and be just real weird about it. Um, so he was in Deliska on the night in question and even attended the Children's Day program um, at the church that the Moors were at. Um, and then the next morning he left early on a train and allegedly told a fellow traveler that there were uh, eight dead in Deliska and this was hours before the bodies were found. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. So that is suspicious. <laughs> um, and... He then, he wasn't from Villisca. He was from like another neighboring town, I guess, or was living there at the time. And so he goes back to this neighboring town and uh, days later uh, sends some clothes to the dry cleaner that were bloody. <laughs> um, he was also apparently left-handed, which investigators guessed that the killer was. Um, however, he was very small in stature, which is like you were saying before, this would have taken a lot of physical strength and energy to do. So a lot of people kind of question whether he was physically up to the job. Um, also there's a big jump between, mm -hmm. Hey, would you work in the nude? 
and viciously murdering somebody with an axe. Yeah. Like, those seem to be, like, different crimes. Yeah, he doesn't really have any other, like, documented cases of being that violent. Like, there's a big difference. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but he also did insert himself into the investigation. He wrote several letters to investigators and to the family of the deceased um and Ugh. he also returned to Velisca posing as a Scotland Yard officer to like work on the case that's super weird and problematic um I don't understand people yeah um so like he was definitely a person uh of, of interest, of interest. <laughs> yeah. um and in 1917, he was even arrested and brought in for questioning by the police for the crime. I think they were, for some reason, they like brought him up on charges for specifically just one of the, the murdering one of the victims. Um, obviously, I think one person did all of it, so I don't know what that's about. But he was like brought in for questioning and after a lengthy interrogation, signed a written confession. However, he almost immediately recanted it, citing police brutality, which is also quite likely. <laughs> so Very true. Um, so he was kind of like brought up for trial, but a jury refused to indict him. Um, however, I don't know what the official legal process of that was, but he was probably the most, the, the suspect that went through the, the furthest line of like accusation. But there is now a running theory that it could have been the work of a serial killer. <laughs> um, sure. Seems like the work of a serial killer. Yeah. And, and there's like other suspects in here that I'm not going to go over. But there's one in particular um, who's a suspected serial killer at the time, uh, William Mansfield. Um, so he was... I, feel like, I, feel, I think it's, like, pretty well known that he did, in fact, murder some people. It's just a question of how many. Um, mm -hmm. So he two years before, he allegedly, or, or for sure, murdered his wife, um, child, and parents-in-law with an axe. So that's something. He is also believed to have murdered um, people in Paola, Kansas, with an axe four days before the Velisca murders. Oh, that's... Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he's also suspected of a double homicide um, of two women in Illinois around the same time. Uh, and then nine months before Velisca, there were more murders in Colorado Springs. Wow, this guy got around. Yeah. As with uh, the Velisca case, a husband, wife, and child were murdered with an axe in their home. The windows had been covered with bed sheets, as were the victims' heads. And the axe had been cleaned. So that's like very similar. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna believe it's that guy. I think there's a good case for that. Um, um, all the murders were carried out in a similar manner and easily accessible by train. So that is kind of the running theory: is that this serial killer was kind of riding train up. Yeah, riding the train, like kind of popping up in different uh, areas. It's kind of like more modern serial killers that have like been like truck drivers or like, you know, kind right. of operating on this, like, I'm just going to pop in. See where the wind takes me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pop into this town, do a murder and then just ride the train back out the next day. And then it's harder to get caught because you know, you're, you're in and out. 
There was also a string of unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912. And I, th I think, I don't remember if we talked about this when we did our New Orleans episode, but there was um, a series of axe killings in New Orleans. Um, yes, there certainly were. Yes. Um, and it's well known, it's known as the axe men of New Orleans killings. Um, so people theorize that it could have all been the same person. And there's a whole book about this if you are curious about it and want to read more. Uh, there's a book called The Man from the Train by Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James. That's who I want to believe it is. I'm going to believe it's this train murderer guy. I think that's likely, um, although the, the Reverend has some like weird, weird connections to this case. So those are the, the more, most interesting suspects, in my opinion. But the re murders remain unsolved. So what happens next? Um, the victims are buried in a nearby cemetery. Um, it's just, I'm, it's very sad. And it's a whole family plot. And they're all just like laid out in a row. And they're like, yeah, they were all murdered together. Um, so I don't know. People pay their respects there. Um, but the house is still standing, like I said at the beginning. Um, it was sold in 1915 and went through a string of different owners and renters over the decades. I don't, I feel, I don't know, have the exact record of who stayed there how long, but like I imagine from what I've heard about this house, I imagine no one would want to stay there long. In 1994, it was purchased by Darwin and Martha Lynn, who owned other historic properties in Villisca and kind of operated a string of different local museums. Um, and so they bought it and they restored it to its 1912 appearance. Fun fact, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1998, and it is now a museum uh, where they run tours during the day, but then you can also tour at night. And if you want to stay overnight with up to five friends, it, you can do so for the price of $428. A little bit I don't approve. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like... Museums to murder, like to a specific murder, uh -huh. are kind of hacky. Huh. Unintended. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't know. I Maybe that's just me being a snob. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. If, you're, if your museum is all about just, like, one murder, mm -hmm. like, you're not really teaching anybody anything. But also, I'm just not that interested in true crime. Yeah. So what do I know? Like I, but like imagine if somebody did like a John Bonet museum. Oh. oh shit! <laughs> Just gave Jen a retirement idea. That's that's never mind, Jen. No, I feel like forget I ever said that out loud. <laughs> no, I mean there's a Lizzie Borden house too, which which also operates as a museum. Um, yeah, and I don't think it's that interesting. Well, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, the Lizzie Borden murder, like, mm -hmm. we know who did it. <laughs> we pretty much know who did that, yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's still, yeah, there are, I don't know, there's still some questions about it, but I think that one is a lot more solved than this one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, is it disrespectful? Maybe. I don't know. I think I think it depends on how you present it and I to be honest I don't know how good of a job this particular site does um 
So I don't know. I'm not gonna tell you to. I'm not gonna tell you how to feel about it. <laughs> I'm here to shit all over your yum. Well, yeah. I would probably. <laughs> I would probably go visit. I don't know if I have the guts to stay there overnight. Um, I am a true crime fan, and I know that there is a huge market for this stuff. So a little bit like, I think that this town is kind of using it as their main tourist attraction. Um, sure, just like the OK Shootout exactly. and Tombstone. Exactly. There's our connection. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, honestly, if you go to the, like, Villisca, Iowa, like, municipal website, it is essentially just a landing page for the Villisca Axe Murder House. <laughs> so, like, I'm not going to tell them to, you know stop that money train <laughs> like, right if, right if, if it keeps helps. your town incorporated mm-hmm. i'm fine with it to, although to be fair uh apparently most locals don't put much stock in the hauntings um oh spoiler alert this house is haunted as fuck um <laughs> but uh and apparently some it's like frequently uh local youths as they say um uh, will sometimes mess with overnight guests by like tapping on the windows <laughs> uh, <laughs> which i totally respect like absolutely I, I understand what it's like to live in a small town whose main tourist attraction is something that you don't really give a shit about and so i fully endorse uh, the locals messing with tourists like that's just you gotta expect that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, it is haunted as fuck. Um, <laughs> and, um, how could it not be? How could it not be? There was just, it's just so horrific Painful. what happened there. And so there's just gotta be all this like pent up energy. And I Six just, children under the age of 11. E- yeah, Six more or less. Children. Yeah, under the age of 13, certainly. Um, okay. But it's just... Oh, so bad. Um, So just about every kind of ghostly activity has been recorded in this house. Um, EVPs, all all kind of energy measure, you know, technology stuff, as well as people just naturally hearing footsteps, voices, seeing full apparitions of a man walking the halls, dragging an axe, um, feeling touched. And feeling a lot of, like, emotional effect, um, feeling particularly, like, scared and feeling of dread. Um, yeah. That little girl, I'm sure, left an imprint for, for decades. I don't know. So, like, people kind of um, debate, like, what kind of spirits or entities are in the house. Uh, some people say that they don't really get any feeling of, of any members of the family or children, which I find comforting. Um uh, they mostly feel the presence of the murderer, which I think is interesting. Um, and that the fear they feel is from him? I think the fear, it, like dread, is like how I interpret it. It's kind of like how we're meant to feel. Like the killer is like making us personally feel fearful and not like projecting their own feelings. I don't know. That's just, that's my interpretation of it. Um because uh, it like people talk about um, it really kind of people who are going into that house feeling fear already, um, they seem to be they seem to attract the most activity. I did watch a couple videos because of course there's like basically every ghost hunting show in existence right. has done has already covered this has already covered this. So if you want to go on a deep dive, uh, you probably 
have come across this story if you are general fans of true crime and or the paranormal. Um, also, apologize if I forgot anything that you like really wanted me to talk about, but that's one reason why I haven't talked about this case is because I am scared of getting it wrong. Uh, so I watched a couple of videos on YouTube and uh, one of the things that stuck out to me um, was in one video, there was like uh, one of the caretakers of the house like I said, uh, kind of like the entity in the house just really fed on people's fear. So, and according to him, a, a particular hot spot for the activity was the attic uh, where the killer is said to have waited. So if you, they were saying that like, if you are, you know, investigating and nothing's really happening, just go to the attic and just sit there alone for a while and something will happen. Yikes. And another like real kind of creepy thing that, the modern um, caretakers have done is that there are like modern toys strewn throughout the house, um, which in itself is just terrifying. Um, like I don't, it's just a creepy aesthetic. I think to see like modern toys, like not like yo-yos, but like tickle me elmos. Yeah, like or like a raggedy hand doll. Um, but like so stuff that they wouldn't have had in nineteen stuff that they didn't have like balls and like like a, a modern like not a dodgeball, but like a inflated rubber ball you know sure um just like all over the place because a lot of people will go and they will you know put a teddy bear or a ball or something and they'll like ask whatever spirits are there to move it or you know whatever so they're trying to draw out um, the spirits of the children which apparently may or may not be there but apparently toys do frequently seem to be moved around so fuck that yes fuck that shit fuck that yep yep that is a hard no Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Why would anybody do that? <laughs> I know. And this is why I don't honestly know if I, like, I, I talk a big talk about how I would love to go <laughs> investigate places and love to stay in haunted places. I don't know if I would do this place. <laughs> I just, it just seems to be genuinely terrifying. So there was one video that is honestly a little silly at times uh, with two uh, male investigators who are taking themselves very, very seriously. Um, honestly, I find all ghost hunting shows to be a little silly. Um, so yeah. Hey there, hey there, demons. It's me, your boy. Yeah, it wasn't quite that level. It was more like we are so serious, and we're going to talk to the camera and be very, very serious. And you're just like, okay. They had a lot of things happen, um, but I'll, again, with these shows, you watch it and you're like, I don't know how much to take. Like, I have to just take your word for it that you're telling the truth and also you have every like instinct to play up things that happen for the camera um so i never know how much to believe sure but he uh there was uh, definitely a couple moments in it where he would like freak the fuck out um one time he claimed to have heard the sound of a woman's skirts rustling past him and then later on uh they were like sitting in the parlor doing like an evp session and he like jumped suddenly as if he had been like punched in the nose Hmm. yeah that was pretty dramatic um and and that video they they did interview the caretaker. And honestly, I feel like that's the best part of it. So it's in the beginning. And he told a story of another investigator who like was sitting in one of the upstairs closets with a woman who was like, I don't know. He like described her as like, oh, she doesn't believe in it. Or like, she's just like, I don't know. She was just like some random woman that he knew. And they like uh, heard footsteps coming up the stairs and they saw 
a shadow fall across the bottom crack of the door as if someone had paused right outside the door. And she was mm-hmm. like, of course, freaking the fuck out. And then he like opened the door and there was no one there. Um, and she was like, I'm leaving immediately. <laughs> I don't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> and then I found, I was also searching around the internet um, for different articles. And there was a Vice article that talked about how in 2014, uh, a paranormal investigator named Robert Stephen Lawrenson Jr. was investigating the house with a group of friends. Uh, he was alone in the house in the Northwest bedroom uh, which I don't know, was either one of them or it was either the Joe and Sarah's room or the children's room. Um, and he was in there alone. And then all of a sudden his friends hear a call over the radio for help. Uh, his friends rushed inside to find him with a seemingly self-inflicted stab wound in the chest. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, what year was that? 2014. Oh my God. So this is recent. Um, he was rushed to the hospital, and then helicoptered to a medical center in Omaha. He made a recovery. He's fine. But apparently the incident happened around 1245 a.m., which is the approximate time of the murders. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of stories of shit being moved around. There was one story of someone who went through the house on a tour and asked the tour guide, like, have you had any experiences? And she was like, oh yeah, I hear footsteps all the time and like this, you know, toys move around all the time. It's just... uh. That toy thing's a deal breaker for me. Yeah, that is... I I think it's like what you were saying with the table earlier. Like when things have like a physical effect that you can see, like this thing was here. Yes. And now it's here. That's concerning to me. (laughs) Too much. That's too much. Yeah. Um, so that's basically all I have. I had a lot of sources on this, uh, Smithsonian Magazine, Vice.com, allthatsinteresting.com, uh, the official website for the Velisca Axe Murder House, Iowa Gold Cases, roadtrippers.com, various YouTube videos, and of course, Wikipedia. <laughs> so glorious. this is a case that has been covered ad nauseum, and I hope I did it justice. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Very cool. <gasps> Do you have a listener story for us? Are you ready for a listener, listener story, story time? Um, this, Yay. this story comes from someone who just signed it, A. Hello, A. A. <laughs> How romantic. Just a single letter. Yeah. The subject of this email was, I don't know if you're ready. Oh. I, I don't know if I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think you're ready. Sorry. I think that's appropriate. My body's too bootylicious for you, babe. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so... <laughs> it had to be finished. Okay, so this this person comes in with a lot of confidence. Um, <laughs> here's how it starts. Walla Walla for college? Check. Haunted theater? Check. Play about the Whitmans? Check. I think I win the email for today. <laughs> All right. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Uh, so here's the story. Uh, I went to college, history major, hello. Nice. In in Walla Walla, Washington. Nice. Which is delightful. Walla Walla, also known as Wally World, is close to a famous penitentiary. Johnny Cash song, I think. I don't know. Her dorms were gender specific. Hey-oh. And the phone phone numbers in the dorm were consecutive. So it was a frequent occurrence for the ringing phone to travel down the hallway, room by room. Yes, this was in the days before everyone had a cell phone. I relate to this very hard because that was how the dorms were at Calvin too. And uh, when I was an RA, one day we, uh, I 
uh, me and a couple other RAs, before everyone moved in, decided to fuck with one of our other RAs and arranged for the phones in every single room on their floor to go off like as an alarm because you could set alarms on them. And so we set them to go like one end of the hall and then the other end of the hall, like alternating. That that would make me insane. Yeah. Um, Old timey dorm room fun. I don't know if you can even still do that anymore. Anyway, I'll continue. Our theater was in a decommissioned church, which was right next door to the girls dorm. I look for photos, but apparently the campus has come up in the world. I recognize nothing. I relate to that. Uh. I relate to that. Yeah. Grand Valley's a different place. It was delightfully unrenovated at the time. The pews were uncomfortable. The balcony was unusable because it was more or less condemned for public use. The entrance was on the corner of the building with double doors on either side of the corner. The double doors were the old-fashioned push-bar type, the kind that do not make for discreet entrances or exits. (laughs) Sure. This is going to matter in a minute. Uh, When you walked into the building, there were two wooden staircases up to the condemned balcony. They met on a landing with two opposite doors. One door took you to what had been the pastor's office, which protruded into the two-story foyer. Nice job, That's for you. Uh, The other was a set of push-bar indiscreet double doors leading into the balcony. While the doors dated to the 50s, the wooden infrastructure of the church probably went back 100 years. The stairs were as discreet as the doors, which is to say, not at all discreet. This person's a fantastic writer. I'm a huge fan. Um, I had been the costumer for a couple of years, and it was time... Oh, they're a costumer too? Yes. A person after our own heart. Yes. Uh, And it was time for me to train up my replacement. The volunteer was a blonde girl with rosy cheeks and waist-length hair. She had a delightfully Victorian air about her and about as white as can be. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, it's Jen. <laughs> it's you me. just described Jen. With longer hair. Uh, you could totally imagine her in a frilly white linen nightdress wandering the halls of some dusty manor house with bare feet and a candle looking for the source of that mysterious noise. As someone who has personally done that... Yep. yep, I was going to say, those are things Jen does. <laughs> For a living. Not anymore, unfortunately. Clearly, she was destined to be the first one to get murdered in the slasher film. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> this took a turn. Um, we were working late at night in the pastor's office, now the costume shop. The door closed, lights on, sorting out costumes for a play about the Whitmans. I have a key to the church. The only other people with keys are the security people who wander around campus keeping us safe and the director to the theater program. Still, we keep the door to the pastor's office closed. Over the hum of the sewing machine and Tori Amos, we were white girls in college in the 90s. Tori was a prerequisite. (laughs) Naturally. Uh, We hear the thump, thump, thump of footsteps going down the stairs. Mind you, no footsteps coming up the stairs, just descending thumps. Uh, When it comes to the supernatural, I believe and don't believe equally. I'm not exactly afraid, but I don't want to know. I get that. Uh, Also, this was a conservative Christian school, and I don't want my freedom to sit in the costume shop until 2 a.m. in the morning curtailed because sex. (laughs) (laughs) No one was having sex on that dusty floor, but no matter. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I get it. 
I get yep. Yep, because yep. as someone who went to a very uh, sexually repressed Christian college, uh, you have to get creative sometimes <laughs> if you want to have relations on campus. I, ha- I had heard footsteps before. I had heard footsteps in the absence of doors opening and closing before. I had reacted by staying quiet and behind the closed door. Basically, the don't ask, don't tell approach. <laughs> right. <sighs> Not my apprentice. White nightgown, waist-length hair, ruddy cheek, misplaced Victorian that she was. She just had to go investigate. <laughs> oh. Oh, you poor sweet child. Clearly, we all know where the story is going. No one was there. The steps were unoccupied. The foyer was unoccupied. And it wasn't possible that anyone had exited any of the available push bar loud ass doors. I'm so proud of you for saying foyer twice in one story. It took a lot of concentration. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Obviously, that was the end of our late night working sessions in the pastor's office on the semi-condemned second floor of the haunted church come theater. I mean, I think they mean church turn theater. But they, yes. Uh, they so def- that would be the Latin cum. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get that now. Say- I okay. get that now. <laughs> the church come theater. That's my other retirement plan. That's... Okay. Okay. Moving on. Cool. Moving on. It was. <laughs> it was not, however, the last of the weird church theater experiences. Oh, you just skipped over Coom now. Oh, you got it. We're <laughs> uh. leaving that in. You all got it. Um, the theater program director had moved an old rusty, old crusty sofa into the balcony so she could watch rehearsals and plays from a comfortable vantage point. I had the keys, so I would frequently take my books up there to study. One afternoon, night visits to the church theater now being unappealing, I fell asleep on the sofa. The obvious explanation here is sleep paralysis because I woke up and couldn't move and it was terrifying. However, I'm not sure sleep paralysis explains the two figures standing in the doorway watching me. Oh, well, actually it does, but yes. Yeah. Because sleep paralysis often comes with uh, those black figures watching right. you, right? Yeah. Well, who knows? Um, so that was the end of me hanging out in the theater, and that is the end of my story. <laughs> Thanks for keeping me company on my commute and for giving me a reprieve from news-based general anxiety disorder. Is it over yet? Is it over yet? Is it over yet? Nope. The shit show is not over yet. Yet. Stay Maybe soon. Yeah. Stay spooky, A. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Really great writing. Yeah. Uh, Well, that was marvelous. Thank you for doing Old West with me, Jen. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Apologies for not fully doing Old West. I am happy to return to the subject in the future because I did a brief Google search and there were many great candidates for a story. I was just, once I had my idea, I just wanted to no, go no, with it. Yeah, you had it. And you, you were like, listen, because you told me early on that it was not going to match up. Oh, me. yeah. I was like, and I was like, this is yeah, not at fine. all on theme, but this is what I'm talking about. And get no, that's it. fine. <laughs> the minute I turned into a theme Nazi, this is not fun anymore. So let's exactly. just keep it fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for our show. Um, we have some new patrons to thank. Um, Yay! Thank you to Amanda Murphy, who actually uh, became a patron uh, the day before we recorded our last podcast, but somehow got lost in the, in my email. So thank you so much, Amanda Murphy. I apologize for this being a little late. 
Um, and Double thank you now. And yeah, and also thank you to Tawny Morrison. So thank you both. Um, and if you want to check out what we do on Patreon, uh, we do monthly videos for our $3 a month patrons. And also, I mean, if you just want to give us some money just to say thank you, um, we really appreciate it. We're open it. to that. We're open to that. The money basically goes to pay for Danny, who keeps the show running right now, yes. so that Jen and I can work and be sick, respectively. Exactly. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you uh, are keeping this show going, and we really appreciate it. Um, you are very literally keeping this show going, <laughs> and we really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Exactly. Um, so um, ch- you can check us out at patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted. Um, and you can check us out on social media at various places listed below in the description. If you want to email us your story, email us your story. We haven't gotten any should new we do, uh Should we do story time next episode? Yeah, we have some. Uh, so we have some long very long listeners stories. Let's do a listener story next. Yeah, we've and been... And then we'll, we'll move through some of those thick guys. Yeah, those thick yeah, boys. yeah. If you've, if you've sent us in a story and you're wondering why we haven't read it yet, it could be that it's just lost in our email and we'll get to it, but it could also be because it is a several-page Word document and it's not really suitable for the end of an hour and a half. Right. episode. Um, so, yeah, let's do let's do a listener episode next time where we... Get into some of those meaty boys. That's right. Um, it's time. It is time. But if you have a story and you would want and you want us to read it, you can email us at this podcast is haunted at gmail.com. Gmail.com. And uh, until next time. Oh, you say it this time, baby. Okay. Stay spooky, motherfuckers. 